scripture reading for today is from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kelly. Good morning, Lee Baldwin. Well, when I was young and in elementary school, believe it or not, I was a horrible, horrible student. I, I got terrible grades. I remember times of standing in the corner. I mean, I don't know if they do that anymore, but I, had this, I spent a lot of time standing in that corner facing the corner. And uh, as I look back and wonder, like, why, why did that happen? Well, I've come to this conclusion. That, that happened to me because I was a dreamer. I was a dreamer. And, and maybe some of you guys could relate to this. Uh, instead of hearing the teacher's words, I would hear, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, I would hear that. And my attention was gazing out the window and dreaming up stories. And for me, I was fascinated by superheroes. Uh, that's probably because I watched Saturday morning cartoons, which probably doesn't exist anymore either. Uh, but I read comics and things like that. And I concocted these fantastic stories of me being the superhero and me rescuing people and me having all of these great superpowers Essentially, all, in all of these stories, I was the hero. I was the main character of the story. And fast forward to the present day, uh, I don't get a lot of time to stare out the window and dream any longer, but as I think about it, there still is a story that's going on in my head. It's kind of like a movie that's playing every single day about my life. And it's about what I'm gonna eat for dinner, and what I'm going to do on my day off and about the goals that I have or the troubles that I'm facing. And, and sadly, as I think about it, the main character of that story that's going on in my head is, is me. And you might feel the same. Maybe you have the same experience. Maybe you're living in a story where you are the main character of that story. Well, as we approach this letter to the Romans... As we approach even this passage, we're going to encounter the story that started from eternity past and the story that is being written every day, and that's the story that's unfolding of God's plan of redemption to save people through his son, Jesus. And so the main character of this story is not me, it's not you, it is Jesus, and as we look at this passage, even the whole letter, it's an invitation for us to know God's story and to find our place in it, to steal a phrase that we use in, in our splash ministry. 
But more than just finding our place in it, we're going to see that we actually belong in this story. So as we start out on this letter to the Romans, I want to remind you that this is a letter. And in these first seven verses, what we have in this part of the letter is the greeting of the letter. And in this greeting this morning, we're going to look at who is the author, what is the theme actually of Romans, which surfaces in the greeting, and we're going to look at the audience to whom it was written. So look at verse 1 with me, the letter's author. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And we see right away that Paul is the author. And he's describing himself currently. But Paul had a story, a past story. Paul had a biography. And I want to just sketch a little bit for you his biography so you know the person who is writing the letter. Paul grew up, he, he was a Jew. Uh, he was born into Roman society. He was actually born into Roman citizenship. And that's important. Why? Because being a Roman citizen, what comes with that? That comes status. That comes rights. That comes privilege. And if you've read the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul pulls the Roman citizen card at various times. Uh, he grew up in a city called Tarsus. Well, Tarsus in the Roman Empire was no, no minor city. Tarsus was known as a leading intellectual center. It was a place of culture. And so for you to understand, it's like growing up in Orlando versus growing up in Yeehaw Junction. And that's not to disparage anybody here who grew up in Yeehaw Junction, but there is a difference. There's a difference in, in growing up in a place like Orlando versus Yeehaw Junction. Paul grew up in Tarsus, and as such, he had opportunity. He had opportunity, a place of education, a place of culture. He was schooled under the scholar Gamaliel, and that means that he uh, became an expert in the Old Testament and particularly the law, and he became a Pharisee. We also see as we study Paul and look at his writings that Paul grew up in the Greek culture. That heavily influenced the way Paul thought and how Paul wrote. And you'll see as we unpack Romans how he makes his arguments. And so in other words, Paul, Paul was a very cultured, a very intelligent man. He was, he was no slouch of a person. And so if there was anybody in the early church in that period of time who was best equipped to destroy the early church, it would be Paul. And that's what he was set about doing, destroying the early church. That's part of his story. He was there in Acts chapter 6 when the first martyr was being killed, giving approval to the killing of Stephen. He was on his trajectory to destroy God's church until Jesus intervened in his life, crashed into his life, and changed everything. And now what we have, when we look at Paul and how he describes himself, we see a brand new person. We see that he says he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He's called to be an apostle. He's set apart for the gospel of God. 
Now, when he says servant, that word doulos can be translated slave. What Paul is trying to say here is that his only master is Jesus. Jesus is the one that he serves. Jesus is the one that he is at full disposal to. Jesus is the one who is leading and controlling Paul. He says also that he's been called to be an apostle. Yes, it it does have this notion that he's referring to his apostolic authority, his office in the church, being an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus. But in a broad sense, he's also saying that he is a messenger. That's what that word apostle means. He's a messenger. And you may ask, well, what is he a messenger of? He's a messenger of the gospel of God. He's been set apart, it says, for the gospel of God. Now, I wonder, have you ever set something apart for a special or particular purpose. You know, for me, I'm, I, I do archery, uh, particularly so that I can hunt. And one of the things that archers do as they're, as they're shooting their arrows and they're practicing, uh, they number their arrows. And why is that? Because each arrow is manufactured slightly different. They're not, they're not all the same. Different, slightly different weights, slightly different arrangement of the veins, and so one might go slightly left, one might go slightly right. And so they number their arrows, they keep all this data, and then they number their arrows and say the number one arrow is the one that hits the target. And it's set apart for that very purpose. So when I go hunting, I want to pull out the number one arrow. Why? Because it has been set apart. Its very purpose is to hit the target. Paul is saying that his purpose, he has been set apart for what? For the gospel of God. Now, as significant of a person as Paul is, knowing a little bit about his bio, the story in Romans, the story in Scripture, the story that's unfolding today is not about Paul. He's not the main character. In fact, if you look at how he introduces himself, Paul is already pointing to a greater story, the gospel. Paul is already pointing to the hero, the main character. He's pointing to Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a the saying, uh, saying here at Lake Ballin Church that I latched onto early on, and it's this, that there should be no greater personality on this stage than Jesus himself. I really love that. Should be no greater personality on this stage than Jesus himself. No one should overshadow Jesus. We should all point to the greatness of Jesus. That's what Paul is doing. He's pointing to the greater character. He's pointing to the greater story. He is the author of this letter. Let's look at the theme in verses two through four. Actually, starting at the end of verse 1, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The theme of the letter, the theme of the Bible is the gospel of God. That word gospel, euangelion in the Greek, Paul is using a word that, that was not particularly religious at the time. We, when we use the word gospel, when we hear it in our culture, we automatically think of religion. But back then, that word simply meant good news. 
And in particular, it was used to, to herald good news about a coming king or the birth of a king. And Paul is co-opting that word, and, and, it, and it comes to us today, and now we see it in a different light. He's talking about the good news concerning the king, the king, King Jesus. And note how he gives us a glimpse of the nature of this king. Descended from David according to the flesh, but declared to be the son of God because of the resurrection from the dead. In other words, this king, King Jesus, is fully man and fully God. It's so important. We're going to be unpacking that as we go through this letter. And so the theme of the letter is simply good news. Good news about Jesus. I want you also to see that the gospel, this good news, it's rooted in the Old Testament. You see this in verse 2 where it says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, would it surprise you to know that the plan all along, the plan from eternity past, was good news through Jesus Christ? That the Old Testament somehow is not invalidated by the New Testament. No, the, the Old Testament is validated. It is fulfilled, actually, in Jesus you know, I've run into to Christians and even teachers, sadly, in this day and age that have abandoned the Old Testament scriptures, not seeing, not seeing how it is useful for us today. Uh, and I want to I bring to you this idea that the scriptures are one story and one message. One story, one overarching story that's being unfolded throughout all of history. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 8. There's so many scriptures that I wanted to bring to you this morning, and I had to limit myself to one. And let me bring to you this one. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be Blessed, And what, why am I bringing this, this to you this morning? The scripture it's talking about is the Old Testament scriptures. And the fascinating thing about this verse, it's saying that the gospel was there beforehand. It was there for Abraham. Abraham knew the gospel. Old Testament saints knew the gospel. They were not saved in a different way than we are. They are looking forward to Jesus. We are looking back to Jesus. The gospel was preached beforehand. You can see it in this promise. How did the Old Testament saints know about Jesus? He was found in the promises. You see a promise right there in Galatians chapter 3. In you, in Abraham, in his seed, all the nations shall be blessed. Who, they, who is he talking about there? Ultimately, he's talking about Jesus. The Old Testament saints had all the promises. That's how they knew Jesus they had the promise in Genesis knowing that one would come to crush the head of the serpent. They had the promise here to Abraham. They knew about Jesus in the temple, the place of God's presence on earth. They knew about Jesus in the Passover lamb. They knew about Jesus in circumcision. All of the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. The promise of rest the promise of peace, the promise of a reward, of inheritance, all find their fulfillment in Jesus. Moses 
pointing to Jesus. Jesus would come and become the greater prophet, the greater lawgiver, the one who would fulfill the law. David, Jesus was his son, but he would be his Lord. All of Old Testament scripture is about Jesus. And so I want you to see that there is continuity to God's plan of redemption. The story of the Bible is not a bunch of disjointed stories. And I think when you're young and you, and you come to the Lord and you're reading the scriptures, you can get awfully confused. And I want to help you this morning to see that the story of scripture is one story with one main character, and it's about Jesus. If you grab a hold onto that, it's really gonna help you. If you don't, you're gonna go to books like Jonah, and you're gonna get a little bit disappointed. You're gonna go to First and Second Samuel, and you're gonna see Saul and David, and you're gonna get really disappointed. You're gonna go to Judges, and you're gonna get totally confused. Scripture is history, and it's unfolding one story, and that story is God's eternal plan of redemption in Jesus. You know, the fascinating thing when you, when you consider the Bible, think about this. This, this. this book was written over 1,500 years by approximately 40 authors, fishermen to a tax collector to kings to prophets, and somehow, throughout all that time, with all of these different authors, different stations of life, different cultures growing up, coming up with one cohesive story with one main character. That, to me, is an apologetic. That, to me, testifies to the truthfulness that this can only be the word of God because behind those 40 authors is one author, the Holy Spirit. How in the world could King David and Paul have colluded on a message, right? How could Peter have, have teamed up with Moses to, to weave together such a story? I mean, there's no other book on the planet like this book. One story, one theme. The book of Romans has one theme that we're going to unpack, and it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look lastly at the letter's audience in verses five through seven. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all who, those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the audience? The letter is written to the Roman church. Now, this is a church that Paul didn't know. He had never been there. He wasn't the founder of this church. This church was composed of Jews and Gentiles, and we'll get a sense next week that Paul is communicating to them. Why is he talking to them through this letter? He wants to visit them. He wants to visit them. He wants to know them. Note how he describes the people in the Roman church in verses six and seven. He uses three phrases. Loved by God, called to be saints, called to belong to Jesus Christ. It's this last phrase that I want to spend our remaining time this morning focusing on. Called to belong to Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian this morning and if you are in Christ, this is you. You are called to belong to Jesus. 
Doesn't matter what your past story was, if it's, if it's like the Apostle Paul. Called to belong to him. Now, when we think of calling, we think of calling associated with some kind of gift, some kind of skill, some kind of something that I have to bring to the table. I, I've got a, a good friend, and uh, this past year, uh, his son, uh, he had he'd grown up playing baseball all his life. He played for the Miami Hurricanes, and this past year, he was called up to the big leagues. Why is that? Why was he called to the major league? Well, he had a great track record. He performed in his past as a pitcher. And not only that, they didn't just call him because of that. Why? They called him because they have an expectation that he's going to perform for them in the future. And the good news this morning is that we are called to belong to Jesus Christ, not because we have a great track record, not because we're going to do something great for Jesus not to accomplish something, he calls us simply to belong to him. Now, I think this idea of belonging, it's actually a desire that God has put into us from creation. Because you see, when God created man and woman, he created us to belong to him, his creator. He created us actually to belong to each other in community. We see that when we, we fast forward to the New Testament, we see how Paul describes the church as a body. You see that this body, we belong together. We function well together. But because of the fall, this desire for belonging has been corrupted. And we work it out in our lives in various ways, some good, some bad. We seek relationships. We try to find belonging in our work. We try to find it in our school place. We try to find it in various ways. In all of those places, interestingly, we have to bring something. Something is demanded of us. And if we fail to bring it, we will no longer fit. We will no longer belong. You know, belonging is part of my story as I look back even on my elementary years and school years uh, I think of myself as not belonging, not fitting in. And you may find yourself this morning the same way, even right now, not fitting in at work or school or the church, maybe even your own family. And the good news is this morning that Jesus is inviting you to belong to him. Jesus is calling you to belong to him. He doesn't want you for your good works. He doesn't want you for your good looks. He doesn't want you for your intelligence, what you can do for him, what you will do for him. He wants you because he loves you. And I wanted to think of a way to, to communicate this to you because it, it, it's actually mind-blowing that the God of this universe wants us to belong to him. I want you to, to turn with me to the Song of Songs 7. It'll be on the screen. If you're, if you're familiar with this book of the Bible, um, you may blush a little bit, actually, but this is a book about love. This is a book about intimate love between a bride and a groom, husband and wife. This is what it says. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. 
How does Jesus love you? He loves you like a groom is longing for and desiring a bride. If you're engaged this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I had to recall when I was engaged to Debbie, how I felt about her, how I longed and desired for her. Can you believe it? Jesus longs for you. He loves you in that way. The real you. He sees behind everything that's there. He sees your past story. And he invites you. He indeed calls you to belong to him. This is great news for us this morning. If you're here this morning, if you are in Christ, it means you have a place. You have a person to belong to forever. If you never, ever find that place to belong to here on earth, if you're in Christ, you belong. You belong to the one who matters. Everything else is going to fade away. And more than that, he has a longing and a desire for you. Unbelievable. He sees your sin. He sees your wickedness. He sees your future failures and what you're not going to do for him. And he calls you to himself. Well, when we think about human history, we zoom out and think about the story of the world that's been going on. And you may think of it and paint it in terms of, yeah, there's kingdoms that are coming and going. There's countries that are being formed. (laughs) There's land that's being taken and retaken. There's powers that are rising up. It's not about that. It's not about the coming election or who will be president. All of history that is working out right now is about God's eternal story that he's writing and it's about Jesus, that he is going to redeem a people for himself in his son. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the protagonist. Jesus is the main character of this story. And you know what's interesting about this? It's actually freeing to not be the center of the story. It's actually freeing to not be the center of the story, but that we can belong to the one person who is. You know, it's exhausting if you're at the center of your own story. Maybe you know a little bit about that. I know know that. It's exhausting. We were never made to be the center of the story. In fact, it's probably the root of all of our problems, idolizing ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 5, this is what the apostle says, and he talks about Jesus in this way. And Jesus, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Scripture is telling us that Jesus, he he died to free you from worshiping yourself. He's the one that carries the full weight of the plot, not you. But actually, the wonderful news is we are part of someone and something so much bigger than ourselves. And that's not to say that your story is insignificant. No, actually, what it means is because he died for you, your story matters to him. It's part of the greater story that is being written. And so the question I have this morning, every day, every moment, God is writing a story. Today, a new page is being written, a story of redemption. Who's at the center of your story? 
Is it you or is it Jesus? Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, you are the eternal God. You are a wise and holy God. Lord, we are overwhelmed to know that from eternity past, you had planned out a Savior for us. You had planned out a people for yourself. You had planned a way to redeem your people, and that is through your Son. And Father, it stuns us. It astonishes us that the Son would call us to belong to himself, knowing our past story, knowing our future story. Yet he calls us to belong to him because of his great love for us. We rejoice in that this morning, and we give you all the praise. Amen.